0: Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. To get even more content from me and Andrew, sign up for the Focus Compounding app. The Focus Compounding app costs $7.95 a month. It comes with a bunch of 2,000-word articles from me each week, a fresh batch of five-minute videos from the both of us, along with one bonus extra-long episode of the podcast each Saturday, and immediate access to our complete backlog of 200-plus episodes. To sign up, go to FocusCompounding.com app or wherever apps are sold. And now here's Andrew with your regularly scheduled podcast.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focused Compounding. Hope everyone's having a great day. See you next to Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? Uh, it's going, bro, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. Hope it's going great for everybody else. We are going to be doing a Q&A in this podcast. If you want to be on the lookout for future Q&As, follow me on Twitter at Focus Compound. Um, that is where occasionally about once a week, I will do a call for questions, and then we will answer them on the podcast, like we're about to do right now. First question comes from Trey Henninger. Mm-hmm. He's been on the podcast, and you've been on his. He has his own podcast. Yes, uh, says when will Naco stock bounce back above forty dollars per share? No idea. Surprised he asked that, Trey. See, is, is that like he knows? He probably knew that would be your answer. Yeah. Will an investor that holds Naco until two thousand and thirty without selling do well? It's a very good question,
0: and I don't know the answer. to That I've thought about that. Uh, it depends on how well they they um, change their uh, how how well they do their capital allocation and stuff. But I, that's a very long time to own it for ten years. Obviously, if you have a cheap stock like that, but the you know they're going to have at that point reallocated many many times the. Um, uh you know uh, free cash flow that they have in a given year if we just average out what the free cash flow is now and what the market cap is and stuff, you'll have reallocated m- more than 100 percent of your market of today's market cap then I don't know if you have like uh you can look up their market cap and everything oh well you we could just look at their stock price because I know they have about seven million shares equivalent on the A and b. So 150 million market cap. Yeah. yeah, all right. So Google did the math better than me. Um, I did that for my. <laughs> so yeah, 150 million. Let's say that the last three years or so they average about 30 million in free cash flow a year. You know, without nat gas and stuff, who knows if they'll be able to do much of that? And they have the capex now, but in an average year, until and unless they lose their current business and don't pick up other business equal to it, then you're doing about 30 million a year. Means that you'll you know, allocate basically 200% of your market cap. So this company is going to have to invest in new stuff, buy new stuff, whatever in other businesses besides lignite, probably lime, um, uh, uh, lithium, whatever things they decide to go into, maybe buying nat gas properties, whatever, that will be two times the current market cap. So the simple answer is maybe, we know that the, uh, I would guess that the price, that the book value will be a lot higher. And most of the book value will be stuff that isn't Lignite. Um, but otherwise,
1: I don't know. How do you allocate dividends in the coffee can portfolio? I thought this was a great question. And this is the yeah. gentleman that wrote about how he's changing his personal investing to the coffee can uh, portfolio approach. So I, there you go. I, I would you just mean? have the dividends go into a cash fund that you then use on other stuff. There you go. So do yeah. not reinvest the dividends back into the stock. No. in
0: cash. I, I want not um yeah i went in because that becomes like um you know that becomes like reinvesting in that stock over and over again for some stocks that could become very significant over time and now you're buying a totally different price yeah um tobacco stocks is that a good value are they good value no no (laughs) tobacco
1: stocks are not a good value no they're
0: generally very expensive
1: got it yeah uh ar-622 module containment rework project asked more questions like this other question Uh, these are very well thought out questions. Good. (laughs) Um, Next question. What are yours and Jeff's long-term goals for the fund? A Schloss-style fund that lasts 50 years. Andrew, do you enjoy the marketing research side of this alone or do you have aspirations Mm. to one day run a fund by yourself? Trying Have you both talked about individual long-term goals? Do they mesh? (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) And he says, I guess I'm just interested in the personal side of what you both do and curious Mm -hmm. if you talked about how to match both of your long term goals, yeah. or if you're ta- taking it a year at a time, love what you guys do and your content has been a must see so, so far. So, yeah, Andrew doesn't like this that I
0: joke all the time about. Uh, you know, I'm like, until we hate each other and stuff and uh, don't do any of the, you know, th- because I always mention whenever we're talking about any situation from people who work together and stuff in these books, you know, these business biographies and stuff. I'm like, yeah. And then they had the, you know, then they uh, had the falling out and whatever from this point. Um, So, yeah what yeah do not what? like when you joke about that yeah <laughs> yeah we've had many um uh discussions about that sort of thing we yes. definitely have talked about how to do it if uh, longer term and what that takes and what kind of things to avoid and stuff things that could be good and successful in the short run that can actually be damaging in the long run if you want to do these things forever we do have to be focused on like keeping certain stress things down you know for a long period of time mm-hmm. um that can be you know that can be hard. I mean, look, uh, I think a, a, um, like aspiring to running a fund for 50 years is great. I also do point out to people that Buffett and Lynch both quit in like about 12 years, give or take a year. Yeah, I was going to say, you don't meet a lot of people that run a
1: fund for 50 <laughs> yeah.
0: years. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason why. If you read the history of, like, if you read what Buffett and Lynch were doing, they like burned out and stuff. Yeah. Um, and then there's other cases where I talk to people all the time about certain funds and things and what went wrong with them. And a lot of times it has to do with what money they're bringing in too much money too fast.
1: I've talked about that. I feel like a lot of people in the fun business, unfortunately, and again, I'm generalizing here. I, maybe it's the people Mm. I read, small sample size, whatever, are forced out of the business. Okay. Right. Rather that's because of like stress, like you said, they're burnt out or Mm. they're forced out because they perform incredibly well. They raise a ton of assets and then their performance diminishes greatly. Yeah, And then it's just like. I don't know I, I would hate the last or i guess the initial thought that people have of focus compounding everything we do is well they you know they had a really good run and then they maybe their egos got to them they got mm-hmm. too big and then they grew too much and whatever i mean that, there's a lot of things that you, i think you have to realize i mean we talk about things all the time in certain situations where if we were running our own personal money it would not be an issue at all right but it's hard when you have investors and it's just certain things you just have to think about and set the right processes in place and i think it's something that I think we've thought a lot about, even things of how do we not hate each other? How do we travel well together? You Uh know, I mean, like you learn as you do certain things. uh, So you don't want to rip each other's heads off and just have a good relationship and a working relationship and everything like that. That's all very important, right? If you want to do this for the next 50 years or whatever. And then, um, you know, if you have success, how do you continue to... Pump out five podcasts uh, a week, or yeah, you know, or want to even do that, or want to do anything public. I, I don't right. know, you know, or continue to run capital. And there's a lot of people that return money because they're like, I'll just do it yeah. myself. I feel yeah. like I feel like the fund business, and this is again, is totally my opinion. I think it's a very hard business. By yourself. I just really do. Okay, There's been a couple situations where it's been nice to have a partner to be <laughs> there to, to talk, to there to talk about, yeah. things through in certain situations and who may know what you're going through or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and not to mention, I mean, we, this, we do have a life too. So there's yeah. certain things that could happen in your life that could, you know, that's just good to have. A partner there or a business partner to you know help you and you know wants you to succeed i mean it's like i want you to succeed as much as i want myself to succeed because we both yeah. succeed and our fund to succeed and our partners to succeed and i think the way we structure the fund is um the greatest because of the performance fees that we have on the fund we don't char- charge a management fee in the fund right so it's majority of investors around zero and 15 percent of the profits and i think what right. that does is that incentivizes us to really be like a partnership. And I felt yeah. like that there's been certain situations in the fund in the past couple of months where I told Jeff, I was like, you know, I really feel like we have partners. Yeah. I don't want like a client, um, portfolio manager relationship. Right. Combat it. It's like, I want them, you know, it's a partnership.
0: Yeah. Let's and talk we talk about it. And we do that intentionally. But of course, most people can't do that. Mm-hmm. Because if you make the decision to just run a fund with nothing else, then you really can't charge just yeah. a management fee. Yes, yeah, so like Buffett, Buffett
1: did and stuff But Buffett already had some wealth that way and stuff. We, yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say, so for people that make fun of us for charging subscriptions and stuff, it's like, that's why we, <laughs> I mean, right. We pump up yes. valuable content, but of course that's the reason why we're doing right. it. <laughs> because <laughs> we want to make we- reoccurring money. Right. <laughs> we,
0: we don't, we don't do subscriptions to make money to make money over time. Like, we don't expect to get rich from doing subscriptions. Yeah. We do subscriptions to things to make money each month so that we don't wait until the end of a year, even an up year, for a fund to get any money. Yeah. Because we don't collect money during the year on the fund, no matter what. Yeah. The fund is paid. I mean, full transparency. I mean, it's paid once a year. Yeah. You know, so that's pretty much it. And you won't be up every year. Yeah. So, you know, think about that. If, you're, if you're up eight out of 10 years, then you got paid eight times in a decade, yeah. you know, that kind of thing, which is great. And if you, if it works out and stuff, then it's a good success that way. But of course, the average person can't just quit a job and just start doing it that mm-hmm. way. You have to have it kind of set up some way. And we do that intentionally with like subscriptions and things like that meant to be a baseline of how two people can afford to live and stuff. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's not how we don't plan to sell We don't plan to use profits from a fund to be how we make, uh, how we live day to day and stuff. Yeah. You know? The fund,
1: you know, ideally you just continue to. It's a form of know, savings and stuff. Roll and back yeah. in and, and generate wealth. But it's just, I mean, it's like we're not. I just think it's interesting when if I sometimes I see people that talk about the fact that we, you know, sell subscriptions or whatever. It's like, yeah, we do. We're in business. I mean, what do you want from me? You pay 8 bucks for a cup of coffee, we charge 7.95 well, for the app and well, we give out content like Yeah. Sue me. Well, I that's an
0: also interesting one know? about
1: like the the longevity thing. Yeah. We've
0: made a decision.
1: And the reason why we do it is for longevity. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> we we've made a decision basically not to do um advertising in the middle of the podcast. Mm-hmm. So if Andrew or I were to, it would be Andrew, to read a, uh, an ad that's, you know, some financial seminar thing or whatever in the middle of a, a podcast, um, the revenue from that is very, very high. It's especially very, very high based on the number of subscribers you have, like on a per thousand basis is incredibly high for our kind of content of a show, you know, mm. because that's hard for people to reach that kind of audience in any kind of numbers and a host right ad is just very effective and yeah. stuff, you know. Okay. But why we'd prefer we prefer instead to have a lot of people on a subscription thing. In part because longevity and stuff, we rather have more of a connection with a smaller number of people paying for like a subscription of things and stuff that we do than to get it from advertising. And advertising is not a permanent relationship. And you know, COVID happens and then it goes away and everything. That is one of the things we don't just do like let's maximize revenue on stuff. We do like let's try to figure out how you get stable amount of stuff over time yeah. in um in monthly income from things. Yeah. And so like when we have a member website. That doesn't plunge to nothing because there's a recession and COVID happened and stuff, Mm -hmm. but advertising can. And, you know, a fund will have a year where it's not profitable at all. So no money comes in from it. So it is helpful to have some amount of things from that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and for most people, all you have to do is charge like a 1% management fee or something. And then with that, that would do it. But we wanted to do
1: no management fee. Mm -hmm. And so we were able to do that by doing subscriptions and stuff. Um, But do I enjoy the marketing and research? side of this alone. Um, Yeah, I I think I enjoy it. Obviously, we're doing a lot of marketing now. I think uh, it's been good for getting our content out and we've really built a firm stemming from a lot of that, a lot of me recycling a lot of Jeff's content. I think I'm good at getting the best out of jeff right and okay. taking a lot of your content and kind of pushing it out to the world i do enjoy doing that okay i do spend time a lot of my time doing all that but i also still look at stocks and all that sort of stuff as well mm-hmm. um because i do enjoy that part as well but yeah i do enjoy it um and answer the second part or avoid it what was the second part aspirations oh, uh, you can avoid it do you have aspirations <laughs> to i don't actually i don't think so i mean just i mean it's like we'll it's see. weird all like it's time. you and me like i don't I, I really do think this is uh, I do think it would be a very challenging business by yourself. I just really do. Yeah. I really think it would be. And it's but
0: it, what I. The history of this business and most businesses is that if two people are running something and it becomes successful that way, eventually someone thinks, well, what if I ran it myself too, though? You
1: know? Yeah. So instead of, you know. At that point, I, I, I just. I, I don't know. I mean, look, I don't. I clearly work with you because it's more than. <laughs> You know, I think I get a lot more out of it is what I'm saying than, than money. And that's, I guess the bottom yeah. line.
0: So we'll see, but like, you know, sure. Eventually sometimes that happens for people that they're like, you know, um, want to be more in the spotlight with the, uh, whatever thing, oh. you know, and yeah. we'll see, but um, that's
1: happened before I was, has uh, happened. Yeah. Well, why, how has Munger and Buffett had such a long career together?
0: That's a very good, uh, well, a few things. Honestly, a very big part of his mongers basically says I'm number two. Yeah, you know that's a very big reason for it. And then also they have the personalities where they don't fight over that and stuff. That's absolutely true. Hey but man, then then and completely- your happy
1: birthday tweet. I said all I've tried to do is make your star shine, <laughs> help, help make your star shine, bright
0: Yeah, but you remember the Wild and Diamond biography thing? <laughs> yeah, but those are
1: I think it's a little different. and That's like corporate America, you know? Yeah, a, yeah, yeah. But anyway, very different
0: but I just mean like as an example of that or something. It, they there was some some people there got offended by something that wasn't even the decision of the other person it was just that like they they were writing an article and it wasn't all about one person it was like oh but look at they want mm-hmm. the angle they wanted to take on the article was um diamond as being like the the secret behind yeah. while or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. I so mean, then while got pissed
1: and yeah, cause it's an ego. Cause they
0: don't tell you ahead of time, media things when they do this, of yeah. course they don't, they never tell you what angle they're really yeah. going to take so, on a story till, you know, they try to get access turns out to stuff. be a hit piece. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, so things like that happen. So we'll see over time. I mean, the incentives that you set from the beginning are very important as well. That is compensation very, stuff like that. That's very true and stuff. And, uh, yeah, we, we basically do the same, uh, just to, basically, Andrew and I have the same cuts of just about everything. Uh, I mean, same cuts in in the sense that we don't renegotiate each thing that we do. So you might be surprised that like something that's mostly done by me or mostly done by Andrew doesn't mean that we don't um, share revenue on that and stuff. If we did, then we'd be in fights all the time over that kind of stuff. And we even talked about that before with a partnering with someone else that we did on something. I was like, let's partner across the board Mm -hmm. because you never want something where in one channel you get like 50% of the revenue and the other you get 10 because someone will steer someone to the other thing, you know? Yeah. I
1: was, uh, telling somebody actually the other day, I was, I saw a tweet or whatever. Somebody was talking about somebody offer them like $300,000 for their, their Twitter account. <laughs> yeah. And I was linking through, I'm like, okay, it's a, it's taking me like maybe probably like two years to okay. kind of build this following. Yeah. Or I'm like, hypothetically, somebody offered me like what number would I have to, <laughs> right. you know, be like, this is just stupid. You have to take it, right? If uh-huh. I could just go redo it all over again. And I was thinking, I was telling this person, I was like, okay, well, if it's, you know, X, I'm like, I would, you know, it'd be 50-50 Jeff and me. And they're like, you would, even though that's your Twitter account, you would still give him a half. I'm like, well, or I mean whatever percentage. I'm right. like, well, that's the way that we always do it. I'm like, and like a lot of stuff I use is his content too. I'm like, right. it's just clear across the board. I'm like, yeah, just like line in the sand. It's just It just mm. makes it cleaner. And I think um you know you talk about how not to hate each other long term i just think from the beginning if you set certain things up like that you know yeah it'd be really tough if we were negotiating like each thing separately about
0: it yeah like oh i should get 70 and you should get 30 on this and on this i should get 30 and you should get 70 because we're
1: doing whatever you know things like that yeah wow what a great question we have been talking a lot we didn't even finish this thing um (laughs) uh i'm curious if you talked about how to mesh both of your long-term goals or if you're taking it a year at a time Uh, both of those things are true yeah okay um that was a great question do you think that 13 f of berkshire suggests that warren buffett anticipate a market correction not because of barrett gold but the decrease of financials stocks in his portfolio
0: yeah you talk a little with vetla about that i don't know i mean i do have this i don't i have this uh, possibility in my mind I don't want to throw it out there as like a theory or whatever that he if he had all his choices of what to do he would like to focus on buying a lot of Bank of America that Mm. Buffett would prefer to own a very large stake in Bank of America rather than in other things now I don't know if that's all of his reasons for selling like he's done for some of them it makes some sense Wells Fargo has some regulation and stuff that getting out of it would make sense because I think Bank of America is more attractive uh, on that basis and he could buy more of it um but my i just don't think he's going to like get out of bank of america i said i really think that i wouldn't be surprised if we see simultaneously sales of the smaller positions in financials getting out of them while concentrating bank of america sort of like i said that i could see this possibility with um sort of the way he did railroads mm-hmm. right where he focused he bought all the railroads at first and then really he f- he focused on um uh you know um just burlington northern when he had a chance to buy it so
1: Uh, Next question says, suppose I go to Texas and in the hotel conference room see a very live-like hologram of Jeff. I conclude that Jeff is staying at this hotel. As luck would have it, Jeff is really staying at the hotel, but it has nothing to do with the hologram. Can I be sad to know Jeff is staying at the hotel? Uh He's very big on this, like perception of reality. Yeah. So, real I mean, to be honest, I mean, this is an off topic
0: for the podcast, but I'm, I'm philosophically ultra hardcore subjectivist in the sense that I don't believe in uh, that this question is difficult from an objective perspective. <laughs> that what you're doing is you're just viewing it from two sorts of things from two different. Um, ways of people understanding what there is. And so you can't ever know objectively that I was or wasn't standing there. But we have two different perspectives on the same sort of thing, the same way that like, if you imagine a black hole or something, right? There'd be two, you can't describe a black hole from what's happening at the black hole as from an observer, a certain distance away from it. They will look like two different things. Does that mean that neither of those things are happening or you can't perceive it that way? It's just a perception of it. We don't have an objective
1: we, we can't talk about objective reality there's some like quantum physics stuff have you been watching interstellar lately after i talked uh, about no, it not actually oh, like I that, yeah did. i think you did uh that was a great answer um when analyzing a stock how do you re- to refer to convertible bonds and will you invest in a company that dilutes shareholders on a regular basis by issuing such bonds isn't it the same as issuing stocks
0: uh it's sort of the same as issuing stocks um I'd have to analyze it carefully because normally when I look at companies, I just figure out the drag that they would have from it. Um, it, it could be not bad. I mean, uh, I invested in Omnicom, which had the convertible bonds. Uh, Berkshire did convertible bonds at one time. It is possible for some very safe companies to get incredibly low interest rates if they issue convertible bonds. Um, it, I mean, obviously, it would if it's it implies one of two things usually. One, it's hard to issue straight bonds. So, you would do that because you're you're just having difficulty um, getting a reasonable rate. or two, the people who own the stock think that they're, uh, the people who run the company think the stock isn't cheap. (laughs) And like in the case of Omnicom in Berkshire, I think that's what the case was. Mm -hmm. So I don't blame them and stuff. They, you know, say you had a, you had a, at the peak of 2000 or whatever in in Omnicom, you had a chance to do a convertible bond that would give you a really, really low interest rate for a really long time. And it's not that dangerous a convertible because what if your stock's done at 40 times or 50 times or whatever earnings? Um, But it's a sign that your stock isn't cheap. Like if you issue a convertible smartly you're taking the bet against your own stock basically
1: Mm -hmm. so it's not really a good sign usually when you see a convertible that way next question when investing in overseas companies like the uk korea etc how do you deal with currency risk slash fluctuations
0: uh we don't we basically buy i mean this is way off the topic of um the sorts of things we normally talk about but basically we buy into a country in which i feel the currency is kind of cheap or whatever so like um and then we expect to benefit from the currency over time so we we just look at it and we're like oh if the currency gets back to what i would think is an appropriate level or five or ten years maybe we'll earn a few more percent from this i think that's smarter than hedging we don't hedge but uh we'd have to hedge If we were going into a country where I thought it was overvalued. Instead, I try to make actually a little money on the currency too,
1: Mm -hmm. which is
0: speculative and, you know, whatever.
1: Um, Virtu has awful employee reviews from Glassdoor and great customer reviews. How can this disparity be explained? Uh, Yeah. And then you just ask why we chose to ignore the employee reviews when you... Uh, To be honest, I mean, this is heartless. Uh, I'd rather company have good
0: customers than good yeah. employees. Yeah. Uh, I strongly prefer, uh, that companies be run to the, make their customers love them than to make their employees run them. There's someone talking about some stuff that Chick-fil-A does and whatever. And they're like, well, doesn't that annoy the employees or whatever that? Yes. <laughs> but it makes the customer have a better experience over time that way. I mean, I my pleasure. I, um, yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> it's good if you can do both it's good if you can have better employee reviews and things and and then um as well as customer things but if you're asking what i what would i rather sometimes i'm worried when i get too good customer reviews Uh, i mean too good uh, employee reviews uh you know i think some companies do too uh, yeah I, i think it's very easy for a company to end up being captive to its employees that you start running it to run things for employees. It makes everyone's life easier at the company. Mm-hmm. No one wants to be running a company where all the employees hate you. Sure, But it, it's easier to run a company where all the customers hate you because you actually, 90% of the people in the company deal mostly with other employees. Sure. So it's easy to you know deal with all that and all that friction, whatever, and adopt those things. Um, yeah, compared to most people, I do have this thing that I care a little bit less about how happy employees are. They're not nothing. And I think, you know, it, it depends on what the reviews are about. You could get I have noticed. I
1: mean, I've read the employee reviews at, mm. at Virtue and at other companies. So, um, As a small private investor, how would you go about contacting management? For example, would you email investor relation questions, call right away, et cetera? Uh, you can try answering that. What would you do? Um, you could do a lot of different things. I would you could i would just do everything okay. <laughs> right? i think that's
0: really the they have a the contact person answer. usually included yeah. on everything who's either an, an investor relations person or someone else yeah. if they're like an investor relations firm i don't know that that's gonna be that successful but for some companies it will be like a, a cfo or the person below them like a vice president or something
1: um that,
0: yeah no go ahead and so they may talk to you right away if you try to talk to them i've, I've had plenty of small companies where the um person who is the who um the cfo or one level down from that is very willing to talk when there's an internal uh person who handles most of the investor relations stuff
1: let's see why is value underperforming? we'll only do a couple more it's kind of going along
0: okay uh i I don't know why values aren't performing from what i can tell things that were performing well before covid are performing well again and things that weren't uh, aren't this was one that was baffling to me like a good example was i was looking um we own uh virtue motors and i was looking at that and i was looking at um what was it uh like as an example uh that and then combining that with like um home builders or something was a good one and uh home builders have really done well since then and mm-hmm. stuff whereas like the car companies haven't necessarily regardless of what their results of the day um of what they report and stuff and there's a few other ones like that that i was looking at that surprised me in how much they've um bounced back from that i just like this is the big example that will show you that it's like it's hard for me to you know who knows to figure it out right so we own this is a really good example what's a stock that i sold and what's a stock that i've bought more of since so like as covid was happening and stuff what did i sell and what did i buy more of and uh i bought more of liked Virtue and sold points international. Well, we can measure this a bunch of different ways, right? But if you look at a chart from, if we just use how far they each off their highs, Mm -hmm. okay, um, a a company that sells airline miles and a company that sells cars, the airline miles one is about down the same as the cars one, which would shock me from the perspective that no one knew COVID would happen. So uh, that's pretty impressive. I don't know what it means. But, like, if I told you there was going to be this pandemic and everything, you would swear that a company that, sells, uh, that just sells airline miles, basically, versus a company that just sells cars, of course, you'd be much safer than the one just selling cars, cars right? Yeah. Well, they're both, you know, now, like, over certain months and stuff, yeah, points international still down more and everything. But just, you know, it, yeah, that's really surprising to
1: me. Do you believe there will be more airplanes in 2030 than today? How do you think the industry will change in the future? Uh, Yes, I think there will be more
0: airplanes in 2030 than today. And that's why I don't like the airlines. (laughs) I mean, that's my big worry with the airlines. It's always been my big worry that my big fear is yes, I'm afraid there'll be. I'm always afraid there'll be more airplanes than there need to be. Yeah.
1: For private investors, is it better to continue to learn as much as possible and wait to find the perfect opportunity before investing? Or start investing even if they don't feel like they have everything they need in terms of investing knowledge. Start investing, unfortunately.
0: Start investing and lose money and gain experience, you know? Yeah, I've never, like no one that I've known has been able to just not invest but learn a lot and then start investing and be great at it. You really learn a lot from those experiences that you have um, running your own money yourself. That's how you get all the experience of like, that's how you learn your own style. You have no idea what your style is just by reading.
1: Alcohol companies are great long-term compounders. Does Jeff have any insight on how the economics differ for the subcategories of that industry, beer, wine, and spirits? It appears like spirits producers are by far the best businesses out there.
0: Uh Yeah. So, and so it's a little complicated because we're saying like producers and stuff is kind of like movies, like producers versus distributors versus whatever. They're usually the same companies, but in all cases, they're not and stuff. Having the rights to distribute is pretty valuable too. Um, but many times when we're talking about a company that you're saying is producing it, it's also the one distributing it. But, um, it would be spirits best beer second wine last. Um, we've talked a little bit about that, but one of the really big reasons is like they've talked about like the survivable niche kind of idea mm-hmm. and stuff. It is much easier to have a subscale wine business survive and stay in the industry and stuff and be a problem for everybody else than it is from a subscale spirits company. Um, in lots of different countries, there's a particular spirit that's a favorite of people and stuff in a way much bigger than wine. Um, you know, Things like that. Spirits is a winner-takes-all kind of business as compared to wine. Uh, beer, you know, same idea. But over time, with like we talked about with Boston Beer and all that, it has all of these may not be as good businesses as they once were because for the leader, for the winner in them, because they're less winner-take-all than they used to be. Um But for a variety of reasons, I'd say spirits. The problem for the stocks, of course, is if you look at how cheap wine stocks are versus spirit stocks and stuff, you know. But yeah, that's the order. It's spirits is best
1: than beer and lastly wine. Cool. Well, I want to thank everybody who asked us a question on the Focus Compounding podcast. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Focus Compound if you want to be able to ask a question in the future. I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Jeff and I. Hit that subscribe button both on the podcast and on YouTube, and we will see you in the next podcast. Hey, this is Andrew Kuhn, and that was the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Jeff and I talk general investing concepts. To get even more content from me and Jeff, sign up for the Focus Compounding app. The Focus Compounding app costs $7.95 a month. It comes with a bunch of 2,000-word articles from Jeff each week, a fresh batch of five-minute videos from the both of us, along with one bonus extra-long episode of the podcast each Saturday and immediate access to our complete backlog of 200 plus episodes. To sign up, go to focuscompounding.com app or wherever apps are sold. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next podcast.